Hey guys, welcome back to Unmapped, the podcast of true stories of expatriates, people who left their hometown to live abroad. This episode, we are continuing with the story of Will. Life is all about experiences. That's what we all say. Most of the expatriates left their home country because they wanted to see more, do more, experience more. For which we are willing to trade the comfort and stability of our hometown. But Will seems to push this trade-off a lot further. He is after an exciting life, for which he seems to be willing to trade every comfort. You will only understand the way he approaches his life if you had known Will in 2016 and the life that he left behind. If you haven't heard part one of this story, I recommend you to go back and listen to part one. If you did, this is where we left off. My dad was born into money,、um, and he lived in the houses were just beautiful. It's absolutely stunning, you know. He's got a boat, sports car, like,、um, he's got his own business.、Um, I realized very quickly that my dad was like very materialistic, you know. Like he needed nice things. He needed a sports car. He needed, yeah, he just needed things that my mum didn't, you know.、Um, but we didn't we didn't have a TV at my mum's, so、uh, we played chess and I'd read.、Um, like with my mum, it was more creative. Like we were playing. We didn't have toys, but we were playing. I was drawing, and I was like,、uh, we were using our imagination, and we were talking. Like I really enjoy conversation, especially deep conversation.、Um, And yeah, we had a lot of that at home. A lot of mum's sort of person. If you talk to her, she can have you in tears. She can have you smiling. She can have you feeling like、uh, anger. You know, it's all it's all there. Like seeing that contrast just really highlighted to me what I wanted from life. And I don't want material things. So money ebbs and flows. You know, there's been times in my life where I've had money and I've enjoyed it. There's times in my life, like now, like now, for instance, where money's quite hard to come by, but I'm still enjoying myself because I'm surrounded by nice people and friends, and I just feel privileged, you know. And I'm having a great experience in Paris. I guess I've been always been a bit of a non-conformist, if you like, you know. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't want to fill that mold that all my other friends were being pushed into. In this episode. We are hearing about Will's adventure coming to Paris. For Will, coming to Paris was not hard, but it was a really difficult path leading towards this decision of leaving everything behind and changing everything about his life. I, I was talking to a friend, and they were like, "Yeah, it was a big deal, like coming to France." And in my head, I'm like, "I just put all my belongings in a car, I drove it on a ferry, and I drove off the other side. It was no big deal, no big deal at all, you know." And we joke about, it, we sort of laugh, you know. Well, actually, when you think about it, it's not really a big deal. Literally, I just got in my car and I drove. I drove to France. <laughs> it wasn't too hard, you know. It was about the same distance to commute to work. And you know, the ferry was like about a half-hour drive from my house. So not even that. Where I was living, it was like five minutes. So yeah, I just drove onto the ferry, but it, it didn't feel like an adventure. You know, I've had much better adventures.、Though. Will came to France in 2018. Until 2016, he had been in a relationship with a girl for 10 years. 
I really saw a future, you know, like we even talked about family. We talked about names for the children we were going to have, you know, all of those things. Like we talked about marriage, blah, 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 all, all of that. Like, uh, it just, uh, yeah, just sometimes things just don't work out, you know. The year of 2016, as Will would remember it later, the final year was a great time together. No one saw the breakup looming. And uh, I remember we, we'd had a great year. I remember climbing Ben Nevis with her and she was like kicking and screaming all the way up like, oh, I hate this, I hate you, I hate the world. And we get to the top and she's got this massive smile on her face because of the achievement, you know. And we're walking down and like my hips are killing me and like I had to stop and take ibuprofen because my knee's swelling up and she's just like dancing around in the snow like so happy like uh, it was amazing like i remember that yeah it's a really fond memory you know i was so in love you know and i felt that she was the same because like, if you look at the photograph she's smiling in every picture you know it's like hugs it's like sunsets it's like it's like perfection you know and then uh, and then um it was a hard winter it was a hard winter because we were working She'd just been promoted. Like, I don't know how her job was affecting her. Um, she was talking about work a lot, you know, and I was like, uh, I was trying to be as sympathetic as I could, but I was struggling with my own job. I just didn't want to talk about work, you know. I was like, uh, so I was trying to encourage her, like, like when you come home, let's just go out, you know, or like, uh, it's just not very nice to hear, you know. She'd be like, uh, Oh, this happened and this happened and you're like oh really you know like it's this is too much like you, you could see how her work was affecting her happiness um and i couldn't hide the fact that i was like uh, i was struggling to be around her so i was trying to distance myself a bit but i always saw i was thought you know like this is just a phase because it's a new job and it's the winter and it's cold it's like not very nice so I just thought, oh, like, by March, April, everything's going to be perfect again, you know. But it never happened. So uh, she, uh, and then she distanced herself. She was like, um, I'm, uh, yeah, I, I don't want to see you for like a week. She said. So I was like, I was like, okay, like, because I was like upset. Like instead of her putting her arm around me and saying like, uh, let's talk, everything's going to be alright. She didn't. She said, I need space, is what she said. Um, so yeah, like I gave her all the space she needed, and uh, and yeah, it was just a difficult time. It was a difficult time. It's still hard to talk about. She came back to the house. She said, "I'm coming back to the house," and uh, she told me that she'd met a guy at work, and that's why she'd like it turned her head or whatever. And I was like, I kind of had a feeling in my head that that might have been the case. You know, it was a guy that got promoted at the same time as her, so they were doing the same job. And I think where I wasn't listening to her talking about work, he was listening to her talking about work. So it obviously brought them together. You know. Um, so yeah, it was all. She came back to the house and said, uh, like, uh, we hugged and I wished her luck and I said, like, you know, thanks for the last ten years. It was it was great. I had a good time and uh, um, I wanted to be cool about it. You know, I didn't want to be like uh, I didn't want to get angry or any of that. Even though I was feeling those emotions, I didn't want to show it. So I just wished her luck and she left and I never saw her. I never saw her again. Yeah, I think uh, it's difficult because you don't just lose the partner 
and the security, you're then losing like all the support network around you at the same time as well. Um, people you loved as well, they just disappear from your life and you never speak to them again, which is kind of sad, you know. It was like, uh, yeah, it was a pretty hard, very hard time for me. Like, uh, I mean, I'm kind of underplaying it, but I was very depressed for a, a good six to eight months. I was in a really bad state, you know, I was like, uh, just lost. I mean, when you're with someone for that length of time, you just like, it's hard to find yourself again. I was living in Plymouth at the time and I walked back to Cornwall because I needed to be somewhere familiar, somewhere that felt like home. And I was walking to my mum's house, which was like a 12 mile walk, something like that. And I'm about six miles into this walk in the middle of the night and somebody drove past and they said, um, uh, would you like a lift? And I was like, I was like, no, I'm all right. And then I was like, I wasn't all right, you know, so they drove on and I'm like, then I just shouted like, I'm not all right. You know? <laughs> and I sat in this field, I was an absolute state. Like. And I remember sitting in a field and it was about minus five degrees and snowing. And I'm sat in this frozen, muddy field, just crying my eyes out. And then I, I just got up and I was like, no, nah, no, nah, keep going, you know, keep going. Like some other bad things happened at the same time. My brother's girlfriend was, uh, his. he had a baby uh, two years before, so by then the baby was two. Um, but his uh, girlfriend at the time, she was suffering. She had like post prenatal depression, which then manifested into like a really deep, deep depression. Um, and they, uh, in that time, I mean, she had to go to a special hospital to have the baby um, because they were monitoring her during pregnancy because uh, they were worried about her, like uh, just her mental health, you know. Um, and in that time, she saw five different doctors and they've each given her a different prescription. And then um, they were managing it well. So she didn't live with my brother. My brother was bringing out the baby by himself. But during the day he'd go, he'd pick her up so that she'd be with the baby until 6 p.m. And then my brother would drop her home and then put the baby to bed. So my brother had like the evening to himself. So they were still like a functioning family unit. It's just she wasn't allowed to be with the baby by herself because her mental health was uh, was really suffering, you know. But she was managing it well. And it was at a point where my brother was like, if you can continue this, like maybe in a week's time, you can move back in and we can try and be a normal family again. So everybody's excited about this, you know. We're all like, oh, amazing. Like their, their family life's gonna get back to normal. During this time, so I've like uh, I've broken up with the girl I'd been with for ten years, and I'm like upset, you know. I'm struggling like emotionally myself, having a hard time, and I get this phone call while I'm at work. I was working late; I was working till 10 p.m. and this was about 9 p.m. I get a phone call on my lunch break or on my evening break, um, and it's uh, it's my older brother, and he's told me that my brother's girlfriend had died, and uh, I was like. I was like, what? It's like, you know, just like, it's just, I was, to start with, I was like, I didn't, you know, I didn't really know how to handle it. So I, I was like, really? And he was like, yeah, really, you know? And I was like, how? Like, how? And they're like, we, we don't know yet. She was just like, she was like, she was just found, like, found unconscious. Um, 
and yeah, it really hit me hard, you know, like, because I was already suffering. Then I was like this, this double pain all at the same time. And like I plunged into a real nasty state, but um, I was concerned about my younger brother. This was my main concern was my younger brother and the baby, you know, because like the, I thought like, you know, this, but for me actually it helped because then I could focus all my attention on my brother and helping him and uh, making sure that um, everything was all right with his life and I kind of like forgot about my pain because I was focusing on like, trying to make him happy so yeah it was a tough it was a tough time I strongly believe though, once you're broken, I mean, I was broken, properly broken, um, you can build yourself back up. And when you, when you eventually build yourself back up, you just like the f overwhelming feeling of like, just everything, happiness, confidence, it's just amazing, you know? I had like a near death experience. I was surfing with friends. Um, I was surfing with friends and I was went to duck dive a wave and the wave came down on top of me and like my leash snapped and my board was gone and I was like, uh, I was struggling. It was, again, it was cold, cold water, you know, so early in the morning and I'm, and I, I'm like panicking and like, and I just felt like I was in, locked into a fight then. And where I was like, I placed like low value on my life because I was depressed. All of a sudden I was then fighting for my life. and. And I survived and I swam back into, I swam back onto the beach and friends came over and like, oh, are you okay, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm really okay actually. It was like a, it was like a turning point, you know? And I was like, well, yeah, I've just fought for my life. So like, uh, and after that, everything changed and I just became like overwhelmingly happy and confident. This is where Will started his plan to leave the UK. And then, uh, so like by then I just was in my own apartment and I was, uh, I was still in the same job, which I hated the job, really hated it. Like, uh, um, it was just uh, mundane, you know, the job had become easy over time. Uh, my boss was, uh, I don't know, just like not the most respectful guy in the world. And I just felt like I didn't really want to give my best for, for him, like, uh, and I wasn't benefiting from it either, you know. I was just going home with a bad back every night. <laughs> like, uh, he was profiteering from my hard work, you know. And I just thought, this is crazy. Like, why am I living this lifestyle? It's like, it's there's no point, you know. And my apartment was beautiful. And the apartment was on the seafront. So in the summer, I'd go downstairs. I'd, like, swim off the rocks. I'd, like, come back into the house, have a shower. Then I'd go and meet friends. Like, I had a nice life. It was a good life. Um, but I was bored, I needed a challenge. So I handed uh, my notice in at work, I gave them three months notice. I waited until my boss was rude and he was rude. So I was like, I knew it was coming and I had my notice in my pocket. So I just went and I went, do you know what? Like, uh, I can't do this anymore, you know? And I gave it to him, he read it. And it said, it's, it was such a great feeling. Like, I was like, wow, this is like overwhelming feeling of, oh, like, I'm so proud of myself, you know? Even like people I work with were like, round of applause, brilliant, you know? They loved, they loved me. I became the most popular guy at work so I gave three months notice because I had no plan I didn't have a plan I just knew I didn't want to do that anymore so I had to force change so uh, where I was living I told uh, the person I was renting from that I was moving out in three months 
So like three months turn into two months and I'm like still got like no plan. And I'm like, oh, I need to, maybe I should make a plan, you know? Um, so I went, on to, I went on to Facebook and I put, um, I've just quit my job. Um, I've quit my job, I've quit my apartment. Um, does uh, anybody like uh, anybody know of any jobs going? Like I'm open to moving away and I had a friend from the, the borders of Scotland like offering me a job teaching archery and fencing. Uh, which was something I did before I used to teach archery. Um, and then um, I had another friend offering me to work on a fishing boat, like in America. I had just like all sorts of stuff. Like there was somebody on a farm in Africa as well. Come and work on a farm in Africa. And I was like, yeah, I like the sound of that. You know, that sounds good. And then a French friend, um, a French friend was like, uh, well, we're building music studios. Um, you can live at my house. And uh, he said that he had an apartment in Paris and he had an apart- and he had a house on the coast in Brittany. And he said I could, uh, during the week, we'd be building music studios in Paris. And then the weekends, we'd be surfing on the French coast. So I was like, and the money, the money they were offering was fantastic, you know. Um, so they're like minimum 250 euros a day. And I was like, yeah, I can't say I can't say no to that. So I, I just said yes. And then I packed up all my things and drove to Brittany. And then, uh, yeah, sort of set up house there in his spare room. And then uh, we came to Paris. So uh, he told me, well, I said, like, what clothes do I need for Paris? And he's like, oh, we're only going to be there for a week. Um, so I was like, oh, I packed a small bag and we came to Paris and we never went back to Brittany. Like, it, never ha- it never happened. Like. Before coming to France, Will had been through a lot. But his life after moving to France is also a roller coaster journey itself. There are many turns, ups and downs. Now, buckle up and let's get on this journey of adventure with him. Uh, we moved into an apartment in the 13th, he had his apartment in the 13th and he said to me, he sort of sprang it on me just before I came that um, he was renting the spare room to somebody else I was like okay cool and he's, I was like so where am I staying, he's like uh, on the sofa and I'm like yeah I can deal with that, it's Paris, it's fine you know? I got here um, and then the girl who was renting the spare room, and she was really cool. She was like, uh, like oh, do you want to go for a drink? And uh, I was like, yeah, cool. Yeah, let's go for a drink. And uh, so we went out, went straight out and one drink turned into like 10 drinks. And we're like singing in the street. We've made friends with half of the 13th arrondissement of Paris, you know, like people are like dancing with us down the street. Uh, yeah, it was amazing, you know, like uh, I was feeling so super confident at the time so I was talking to strangers like bonjour parlez-vous anglais and they're like oh little and I was like I took a little as like right you're my new friend you know I've just arrived I want to make friends with everyone so we, we were living this lifestyle where we were working hard but we were partying harder you know it was crazy so we're at, we're at the house and it's like a lot of alcohol consumption and lots of good food and like very social we were we were going to bars every night and making for like <laughs> making friends with everybody um we just had this dynamic where i felt like we were invincible you because she had this big personality, he had this big personality. Like, you know, I'm like a strange guy, you know, and I'm talking to everyone and I'm confident. So the three of us were like this powerhouse, you know, we're just driving the party. Like, and the whole of the 13th Baron Dissonant was alive, you know, because every time we went out, it was just big parties and these bars, everybody were introducing people. I remember in, um, 
Cafe Oz. I think it was Cafe Oz. And I was talking to people, he was talking to people, and then we were introducing each other to like these groups of people. And then I remember we were on the dance floor, and people I'd already spoken to walked past, and I was like, oh, guys, have you met these guys? And they're like, they're like all making friends. So it was just, the atmosphere was amazing. You know, I'm high-fiving the bar staff. You know, I go in there, they're like, oh, well, and they're shaking my hand. And it's because we made friends with everybody and we made sure everybody made friends with everyone else as well. It was just crazy. It was a really crazy time. So I was having a great time. But um, unfortunately, I just think we were partying too much. And uh, I've got a lot of stamina. And the girl that was with us, she had a lot of stamina. But I think the the guy, like, uh, it just got too much for him, I think. And then he was becoming insomniac. he had these speakers in the house and he kept drilling them into the wall, taking them off, drilling them back and sort of taking them off. And you're like, all through the night, and you're like, you say to him, mate, like, is everything okay? You know, because uh, you keep, like, it's like an um, obsessive compulsive disorder, you know, you could see it. And it was getting worse and he was getting aggressive. And you just like, is everything okay? You know, like, uh, we were concerned, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to make sure he was all right. And, uh, you could see and then they were falling out and I didn't speak French and like my French is still not very good but I could notice there was like a tension and they were like arguing and, uh, and then she was staying away from the apartment um, and not coming back so I was like there's something going on here and I didn't I really couldn't work out what was happening um, and at that point I hadn't been paid either so I'd done like three months worth of work and not received any money at all um, I mean, I was living there and they were feeding me, so I wasn't worried and I was still having a good time. But all my savings, uh, like I bought a f- like a few thousand euros of savings and I'd spent all of it. So I was getting a bit worried. Um, and then Christmas time came, so I flew back to England for Christmas. Um, and then on Christmas Day, she phones, the girl phones, and she's like, um, he's evicted us, he's taken it, or like all our belongings, he's put it in the van, um, he told her, like, he told her to come and get it, or he's gonna put it in the bin, this is on Christmas Day. Um, I was like, well, what's that, like, uh, where do I stand in all this? Well, what about my job? Because I worked for his company, it was his company. So this will happen on Christmas Day. Um, and I was like, well, what, what's going on with my job? And like, uh, he'd been diagnosed with schizophrenia um, and he got hospitalized. Um, and so I had nowhere to live and that part of my job had, had disappeared. So I'm now into a second week in England. So I was like, what about my job? I worked for two companies actually. There was um, one company built new music studios and his company took um, music studios and moved them to another location and then reassembled them. So I did work for both companies, like lots of work for both companies. And then uh, with the other company, the one that built the new studios, they said to me, well, we need you because we've still got jobs to fulfill. And I said, okay, I'm only coming back if you offer me a contract. And they they said, okay, we'll think about it. And then about another week went by and they phoned back and they said, we can offer you a CDD contract. And I said, perfect. I said, I'll get on the next ferry and I'll I'll come back to Paris. So I went back to Brittany, picked up all the stuff I thought I'd need. I put all my stuff into my car, like packed my car, and then I went to drive it away. It had been sat in the field for three months. Uh, went to drive it away and the suspension snapped and I was like oh no this is really bad I got a 
Blablacar um, from from Brittany back to Paris. And I'm coming back in the snow everywhere and I didn't even know where I'd be sleeping. Like, I was like, in my head, I'm like, I've got a sleeping bag, so I'd probably have to sleep like in the snow. And the Blablacar people were really nice. Like, they realised I was in a bit of a bad situation. And uh, they're like, when was the last time you had food? And I was like, mm, two days ago? Like, I hadn't eaten in two days. So they were like giving me biscuits, you know? They were really nice people. Um, and then um, they took me to a hotel. They like, uh, like I managed to online as we were driving across France. I booked like a Formula One, one of those like awful, awful like hotels, you know. Um, and it was the best night's sleep I had had for ages. People from Will's new job came to pick him up at the hotel where Will was living for the night with a girl's bike, because the van that they had driven was stuck in the snow. Will biked for two hours in the snow to arrive at the office building, where he continued to live for five months. They put me up in the office at work. I say the office, like it was the workshop where we'd cut all the wood, so all the saws were there, there was sawdust every... I mean, all my clothes were covered in sawdust, there was sawdust everywhere. Um, and every morning the saws would go on first thing in the morning, so if I had a day off and there was no such thing as a lying because first thing in the morning, and the sores would be going, you know. Um, it was funny. Like, I had to clean the shower and there were spiders everywhere and like uh, the wa hot water didn't work to start with and then it did, but the water tank was like two litres, I think. It was enough to, like, I couldn't even have a shave with hot water. So I'd like, I'd like rinse myself, soap up, then rinse off the soap and turn this, turn the heating off if I wanted to have a shave. And then it was just mad. It was absolutely crazy. Um, and the nearest supermarket was an hour bicycle ride away as well. So uh, I'd on the girl's bike, like the same bike, like, uh, so I'd cycle. <laughs> I'd cycle down on this girl's bike for an hour, do a full shop at the supermarket and cycle back, you know, like, uh, it was like just really bad, like so bad. I had no fridge. I, they got me a fridge eventually, but I didn't have a fridge to start with. So I couldn't buy, I couldn't buy anything like uh, anything fresh, you know. I'd eat meat on the day I went shopping. Like, so I'd buy meat, I'd eat it on the day I went shopping. Um, and then, it would just be like porridge and stuff that wouldn't go off, you know, I'd buy tins, um, yeah, buy lots of tins of stuff, like, uh, it's probably not healthy. And I, um, I kept getting ill as well, I was like, um, I think like, like, it wouldn't go a week without getting diarrhea, like, I was really bad, you know, lost a lot of weight. And then there was a concrete works across the road, you know, that was going, like, the concrete works would be working through the night, so you wouldn't get much sleep. Um, and when it was windy, like, there was a corrugated iron roof, so the roof used to bang, 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 like all night, you know. <laughs> then they told me I had to be out of the office because they wanted to use it for storage. So I was like, yeah, okay, cool. Um, because they were like, you need to be out. So I'm like panicking, I've got nowhere to live. I'm in Leon, I've put a message on Facebook, like I'm looking for somewhere to live. And a random girl like messaged me saying, I'm going on holiday for a month. Do you want my apartment? And I was like, yes, yes. I, like, I didn't have a choice. I was like, yes, yes, I'll take it. And, uh, you know, but it was a quirky place. It had like the, the uh, shower was in the cupboard, it was like in the wardrobe. Um, 
and the toilet was down the hallway. It was a Turkish toilet, the shower. So like, uh, so it had like a pallet that you lifted up to use the toilet. It was crazy. And then like down down the hallway was the main toilet. Like, uh, so uh, if I needed like uh, the toilet in the middle of the night, I'd have to go down the hall and use the toilet down the hall. But it just felt like it was amazing. It was like quirky. And that was probably one of the best months of my life because I'm right in the center of Paris just out every night partying. And the girl who owned the apartment, she's become a good friend now. So uh, like, I made a friend through that as well, which was cool. Um, but yeah, and then after that, I was just bouncing from sublet to sublet. While we were talking, Will has taken out his phone to show me his Google map. You can see many saved addresses scattered all over Paris. These are the sublet places where he lived some for as long as eight weeks, and some for as short as one night. He had lived in eight different places in a short span of six months, before his friend took him in. And then now I'm in a place where friends really helped me out. She offered me a place to stay, um, and it's south of Paris. It's a bit of a mission to get into Paris. But it's if it's safe, you know, it's safe, and she's been a really good friend, and uh, yeah, I'll never forget what she's done for me to help me out, you know. But it's not been easy. We had the strike. Like I found a job, like because that job ended, the contract ended. And then I found a job teaching English, um, which I was really enjoying. And then we had the strike, and I'm like, for the whole of December. I didn't earn any money, and then I went back to work. Everything was like everything was looking good, and I'm thinking, oh, by the end of January, like I'll get like the end of January's pay, I'll be able to move out, you know. And then then the uh, coronavirus thing happened, and uh, yeah, then I lost, and the, the, that contract ended, and now I'm looking for work again. So it's all a bit crazy. So I'm surviving on a shoestring, still having a really good time, enjoying myself, but. It's been a really crazy journey. For me, the point of life is collecting smiles and like and stories and having a laugh. You know, this is a currency I traded. Like money, like money comes and goes. It's easy to make money if you want to make money. You know, but uh, like my main concern is to make smiles and to collect and to collect stories. Yeah. I used to do it. Like I do this myself. I get up and I look at my apartment and I think. I'm working way too hard to like for very little, you know. And the boss who didn't appreciate me, and, and you're like, this is just why am I doing this? And then logic kicks in, and you're like, just quit, you know. Hand in your notice, see what happens. And that's what I did. And I, you know, I've had so many amazing experiences since then. Um, yeah, it just like now it just makes a whole lot of sense. I didn't, I'd never do that again. I'd, I'd never find myself in a job where I was unhappy or in a circumstance where I was unhappy. I'd definitely just say like, you know, just take a deep breath and just take a take a leap of faith and see what happens. You know, because if you're able-bodied and you're intelligent, you can you can always find a way. Always, there's always a way. When I first learned about Will's story in France, I was surprised by all the difficulties that Will came through in France. I thought he was a madman, putting himself into such discomfort and still live with it. But when I learned about his past, I suddenly understood that Will 
like many other expatriates, is on a quest for another possibility of life, a life that is different from the one that he had had for over ten years. Comfort can sometimes be a poison, and discomfort can sometimes be exhilarating. We cannot read a story without seeing the full picture. While producing these podcast stories, I often ended up becoming friends with my subjects. It feels natural to have a strong compassion for the other person when you have spoken so deeply. Will is the founder of a creative expatriate community in Paris, a community of people with creative passions. In this community, hundreds of newcomers to Paris have found their friends and support network in this foreign land. My life was changed by Will as well. He introduced me to this wonderful community, where I have met fun, kind, talented people that I cherish in my expatriate life. The world is our playground, but the world is also a wild, wild place. The journey of an expatriate is not an easy one. Throwing ourselves into an unknown place takes courage. And resilience. We know about our limits. We see what we are really made of. But also, we can get into trouble, and nasty things can happen. I guess our best bet on this journey is to surround us with supportive people, the family that we choose for ourselves in this foreign land, who can lift us up. Even when we have nothing left. This is the end of today's episode. I'm your host Hannah, speaking to you from France. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, stay safe and have a great weekend.